and we're continuing our our series in um, in the book of Exodus on victory in Exodus Exodus chapter four. We're going to look through the first nine verses or so today, and uh, and we're going to talk about victory and the power where the power comes from in Exodus chapter four. So. What I what I like to do is you know every time in this we've gone the, we've done the situation the struggle and the victory situation the struggle and the victory so I'm I'm going to take a little bit of liberty and we're going to look back in Exodus chapter three for just a moment starting in verse uh, fifteen some verses are on the on the page there's other verses that we'll kind of reference here <clears throat> just to help us set up the situation. We didn't kind of cover them last week, but and God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt, uh, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders together, and say unto them. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of, uh, of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken unto thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, <clears throat> unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say unto him, The Lord, God of the Hebrews, hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all the wonders which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman, or but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor of that, or I'm sorry, and of her that sojourneth in the house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil or take from the Egyptians. So this is our this is our situation. It's pretty interesting because God specifically tells us tells Moses what to do and what will happen. This is before any of that any of the next few few chapters in the book of Exodus happen, and He describes in great detail. In pretty good detail, what's going to happen? You're going to go. You're going to gather the elders. You're going to talk to them. They're going to go with you. You're going to talk to Pharaoh. He's not going to let you go. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to do miracles. Then he'll let you go. But in order to have all the stuff that you need, I'm going to have you spoil from the from the women. Take take jewelry, and then you'll be able to have resources to make the trip. So gather the leaders. The Lord acknowledges their affliction. He delivered, uh, challenges them to deliver the message. He understands the obstacles. And God will judge around you. He's going he's gonna to protect, if you notice in verse 20, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will uh, let you go. Like, you're going to be in the middle of it, and there's going to be turmoil and chaos around you, 
Now we know these as the plagues and ultimately the killing of the firstborn when the Passover, without the Passover protection, right? So <clears throat> God is, and, and I think it's pretty sufficient detail. Like if God was telling me, this is what's going to happen in the next few weeks, months, days of your life and gave me this level of detail and I really knew it was God, like I had a legitimate burning bush moment, I would, I would think I was pretty confident. I mean, don't, don't you? If, I mean, and I'm not taking out the, but God doesn't speak to us this way and all that like now. I get it. But if you really had this interaction with God and he told you this, well, I'd, I'd probably be walking with my chest puffed out a little bit. I mean, I don't mean that like, like pridefully, but like confidently that, all right, God told me what's going to happen and God's not bound by time. He's certainly like, okay. It's a little bit, I think, like Abraham when he sacrifices and goes to sacrifice Isaac. And I'm not minimizing the incredible sacrifice it would have been, but he had the promise in his back pocket that Isaac, the promise of Isaac was going to be a lineage. So while he didn't understand maybe all the detail, whether he wouldn't actually have to sacrifice Isaac or Isaac would raise it again, which I actually think is what he thought would happen. He was confident because he knew the word of the Lord in his life. Well, hey, believer, guess what? Jesus does the exact same thing for us. I would argue he gives us more than just, I don't know, six, eight verses of detail. He gives us a lot of detail in the New Testament. Don't be surprised about the political environment. Don't be surprised about the health environment and all the things that are going on. Don't be surprised about wars and rumors of wars. And don't be surprised about pestilence. And don't be surprised about earthquakes. I mean, we, we're pretty earthquake immune here, I feel like, in the Midwest. What? Well, I mean, not like <laughs> famous last words, right? I mean, like, I know, yeah, but, but I mean, like, it hasn't affected us. Like, maybe one day it will, but... I, I, immune's not the, like, we just haven't had them, right? Like, we don't think about it. Like, we don't have posters on the wall, what to do in an earthquake. We have posters on the wall, what to do in a tornado, right? Mm-hmm. But, but all those things Jesus said was going to happen. Like, all those things, we know, like, we shouldn't be surprised when we wake up and we read a story that, I mean, I, I don't know where you stand on this, but Fauci's working on the Spanish flu uh, on, uh, on on trying to improve its function in animals. I'm thinking, bad idea. That's how a lot of horror movies start. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like we've had a really good experiment the last couple of years, and it didn't work out so well. Maybe we shouldn't keep messing with this. Now, I don't know if he particularly is doing it or whatever, but everybody attributed it to him, and he kind of looks like Alfred E. Newman from Mad, and so it's easy to make fun of him. So, but Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells his church what's going to happen. Look at what the detail that he goes in in John. Honestly, if you, I, I wish we had more time. We just, we just read John 13 through 17. That is the beauty of that part of Jesus's ministry to his disciples is he like hey it's going to get bad and when it does do this 
Like, there's a lot of practical detail. We may be looking at John 13 through 17 at some point in the future. God's just really kind of hit me between the head with the two by four in John 13 through 17. But look, now I tell you before it come that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. I am he. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I'm telling you the future. He's like, pay attention. I'm telling you the future so that when it comes to pass, you know and it reinforces your faith in me. Like he calls it out in 1429. Now I've told you before it to come to pass that when it come to pass, ye might believe. Just in case you weren't listening the first time, I'm going to tell you that again. John 16, 4. But these things have I told you that when it shall come to pass, you remember that I told you of them. Third time's a charm. Because what's the problem with people? We don't remember. We don't. Well, I don't know that we want to say it was just a lucky guess by God. But we, we tend to spin it away or Satan spins it away. Makes it seem like it wasn't really right on. I mean... Jesus has told us, I have a book that tells us how the world's going to end. Spoiler alert, we win. Yeah. We, get the, we, we literally have the rest of the story. We have it. And yet we worry, and I'm, I'm, I, I do mean we because I do this too. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about what's happening in the, in the political environment or the social environment or whatever. Like, why should we worry about it? Jesus says, this is going to happen. And I told you, and I'm going to provide you for you through it so that your faith is reinforced. And yet we look at it and go, ah. And it shakes our faith, right? It shakes our faith, and it shouldn't. John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Why? Because you know that I already know about it. You know I've been on the other side of it, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So victory principle number one. We know who has the victory. And I would argue we have a lot of detail, but that didn't really fit under a nice victory principle. We have a lot of detail of what's going to happen in history. Right? What's going to happen with the nation of Israel? I am not a big prophecy guy. I'm just going to be very, very transparent. Because every time I feel like I've figured something out prophecy-wise, I'm wrong. <laughs> so what I've decided is I'm going to let God be God. I'm going to do the things that he told me to do that apply to the church age, the direct commands to Mitch Dobson. We're going to, you know, and you all, you all should do the ones to you, right? But I'm going to fulfill the ministry that he's given me, and I'll let the pieces fall where they may. Yeah. Because just like Pastor James said this morning, I can't really, it doesn't, I mean, it kind of doesn't matter. Does it mean I don't vote? Uh, or does it mean, do I still vote? Yeah, I vote. I think it's important. Because if I don't vote, I can't complain about it. That's right. Wait, that isn't the reason I should vote. <laughs> but if I don't vote, I can't. Right? I can still cast my... I still have that right. I still have that freedom in the United States. So I need to exercise it. But at the end of the day... At the end of the day, look. I, I do not subscribe to the premise that Biden stole... And, and look, I, he's our president, but he's not smart enough to steal the election. 
I'm just I'm just saying. Like he's just not that. He's he like there might have been other forces in play to do that, but I don't think that happened. I don't think the the facts bear it out. I, there was a point in time where I was a little worried about it, but I don't think the facts bear it out. I don't think the individual and and look, if in every one of those counties and every one of those states there's some big conspiracy, guess what? Satan's behind it. Yeah. And I'm not saying like I'm not implying Joe Biden's like Satan. That's no. not my point. But if there's that kind of conspiracy going on, if there really are like eight men that get in some smoke-filled room and rule the world, <laughs> if they really exist, they're taking their cues from Satan. That's right. That's right. James laid that out. All, all the kingdoms of this world is what Satan could offer to Jesus. That means he has control. He has an influence. So, I'm not going to worry about that because I know who has the victory. And it's the Lord. Doesn't mean it won't be difficult. So that's the situation. Now the struggle is now we're officially, I've gone 15 minutes and now we're in our text. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses said, and I don't like to, I don't like to contradict scripture, but honestly, I kind of wonder if the end should have been a but. But Moses answered and said, well, here, here comes the but. But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. I do not believe you should shake, shake your children. You can injure and in baby cases, you can kill them. I'm a little surprised. God didn't grab Moses by the lapels. Were you not listening to me? <laughs> I just got done telling you all the things that would happen after you went in and talked to the leaders. Did you, were you, I wasn't just like, ah, Moses, pay attention. <laughs> Moses, well, well, they might not believe me, nor can, I'm, I am getting the whiny voice because I kind of have to believe Moses had a little bit of a whiny voice. <laughs> And God is super gracious. He's super good. And he gets to the bottom of it with Moses. And we'll get there in just a, in a couple minutes. But this is, that is a straight, a straight affront to God's word. God, I know what you just said, but my situation's different. But you don't know my family. But you don't know my boss. But you don't know the, uh, the, the people who persecute me in my country, wherever that is. A lot of people across the world that are persecuted right now. I know what you're saying, Lord, but no, that's an affront. You literally just minimized God's words. Moses minimized what God had just got done telling him. Men tend to reject the Lord's leading. Notice in Jonah, now the Lord, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Emetea, and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, which I know God left in there, because it's always going to cost you something to run away from the Lord, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, which really can't happen. Men tend to look God's word directly in the face and not 
receive it. Now, I'm not saying that applies to everyone. Obviously, I think there's a good number of people in this room who've heard the, the gospel presentation and received it. And there's a good number of people in this room who have been challenged with the Great Commission and to the degree you can, you have fulfilled it. And to the degree you can in the future, you will fulfill it. But men, ten, men people, tend to reject God's word, God's leading on this. Notice in Acts 13, even Ananias, who was a spiritual man, was like, Lord, are you sure I'm supposed to minister to Saul? Like, haven't you heard he's the one that kills people like me? If you really thought God was leading you, would you in re- would, would it be reasonable to say, God, are you sure? <laughs> like that, it's almost weird. I mean, literally, we laugh about it. like we laugh about it because it's 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 stupid on our part, but we do it all the time. We've been a, we've given a command to, to go. We've been given a command to do. We've been given a command to to be a living sacrifice. We've been given a command to to disciple. We've been given a command to grow. Given command to learn the word of God, and we don't do it. We we come up with our excuses. We say things like, well, I've, I've heard many by, uh, or I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at, at Jerusalem. Like, are you sure you want me to minister to Paul or Saul? Yeah, I, I, I kind of see the rest of the story and it's, yeah. it's kind of important. Oh, yeah. that's, why I, that's why I came to you, yeah, Ananias. That's why I came to you, Moses. That's why I came to you, Jonah. And men tend, then, so they, we tend to reject the Lord's leading. We also tend to deny what the Lord says. That's a different form of affront to the Lord's, uh, to God's word. Notice, I actually almost changed the slide to Peter tends to deny what the Lord says, because look at the examples. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, Jesus, saying, far be it from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Like you are not going to die. Not on my watch. Didn't work out, yeah. Peter saying, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Well, but if I don't, then you're not going to have a part of me. And he's like, Well, then wash my head too, right? Or uh, yeah. some, some version of that. Uh, it doesn't sound right coming out. And even in Acts, after the Lord's resurrected and, and ascended, but so, so now Peter has this dream, right? It's vision, and the sheet comes down, and there's you know shrimp and pigs and stuff that he can eat that he was prohibited from eating before that he can now eat. And he says, not so, Lord. <laughs> I don't care what you're saying, because I, I don't eat that kind of stuff. I mean, Peter is kind of our, our example of what not to do. And he's, I mean, I think he's been, he's been left in Scripture. Now, he's also a great example of what to do. His zeal and his passion, it cuts both ways. These are emotional responses, right? They're zealous. They're, they're passionate responses because of the nature of who Peter is. But that also plays pretty well in his ministry. That, that does temper over time. But to balance the zeal with, with the wisdom... But back on Moses, this is interesting because the failure, notice, he dredges up his past. He says in verse 1, Behold, they will not believe me nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. 
So he is literally kind of dredging up this previous situation of remember when he he comes out and he wants to judge and then the 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 Israelite the children of uh, the the Hebrew the the individual who's a child you know in the Israeli uh, nation says who made thee a prince and a judge over us are you going to kill me who died and made you king so he's this is literally echoing in his mind. I'm sure Satan's probably on the proverbial. I don't remember is the angel on the right shoulder or on the left shoulder because there's the angel and the devil. Does it the devil's uh, I I'm I'm with her. I think I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter because the devil's there just whispering in your ear and there is some truth to that by the way. The devil will whisper in your ear or some 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 one of his fallen angels will try to convince you to do the wrong thing that's that's i think fairly well documented that so as a result he is hearing probably hearing about his past he's at least thinking about his past and he's concerned that they're not going to listen it's his number one concern despite god already calling it out so the key is don't live in the past notice we love Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, right? It is that of not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Oh, I, I uh, did I, I, I went twice. I'll, I'll come back. Not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. Because look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Don't live in the past. Don't worry about what you look like. No. Worry about what he's making you into. Yes. Years ago, I worked at a place, a living history museum out in Blue Springs um, called, um, called Missouri Town. And I had just started there. And I was, this, I was a, a kid that loved history and, and didn't know what I was doing. And I was, I was 17, 18 at the time. And one of the guys that was in charge walked up and he gave me a piece of wood and a knife. I kid you not, I, this is literally how it went down. He says, do you see this piece of wood? And I said, yes. He said, in here is a spoon. Cut away everything that's not a spoon. And he handed me a knife. Now I still have that spoon. I could probably scoop up a green bean or something with it. I don't. I, I, I could live off of using that spoon as sustenance, but it's not a very good spoon because <laughs> it was my first time I'd ever whittled anything just using a knife. But I sat in the, the little mercantile they had and I just whittled everything away that didn't look like a spoon. It's a trite example, but that's literally what the Lord's doing with you. He's literally chiseling away from you. You are his workmanship. He's chiseling away everything from your life that doesn't look like Jesus. And, and I mean this with both love and respect. A lot of you don't look like Jesus yet. I'm starting to see Jesus. But you're not there yet. And when I look in the mirror, unfortunately, I see me. I don't see Jesus. So there's more work to be done. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Notice, and, I, and I, I think I clicked it twice. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, uh, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord. Like, that doesn't define you anymore. Like, if there's a word that says, Lord, I wish I could serve you, but in my past I was a blank rascal. I was a hater. I was a prideful jerk. I was an idolater. I was a fornicator. I was a whatever. Whatever that word is that you want to fill in the blank, if you are saved, that person is dead. Amen. Dead. Don't keep, don't keep raising them back up. Move forward. That person is dead. If you are not saved, then you need to deal with that because that's the only way you're ever going to get past these things. You can't do it of your, own, of your own self. You can't solve that problem on your own. So he washes, sanctifies, and justifies. He, he sets us in a new place. So literally... Have to advance twice here. Our victory principle number two. Understand, you were made for this. You were made for this moment. You were made for this battle. You were made for that challenge. Why? Because he's at work in you. I'm not talking about what he... Look, I mean, babies are cute. And I bet every one of y'all was a cute baby. No. No? Okay. Somebody in here wasn't a cute baby. But, but, but... Every one of you, I'm sure, every, somebody looked at, oh, you're so precious someday. You're going to be so big and so, so strong. You're handsome or you're precious or you're cute or whatever. You're going to be so smart. or You, you can put those little blocks in the holes in the, in the thing. And, oh, you're going to be so smart. Like, you can do it faster than any other baby I've ever seen. Like, like, it's all great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm literally talking about... The messages you hear in here, the messages you hear in there, the times you read in scripture, the interactions you've had with people, you're literally being made for this. Moses was made for this moment. And I'm not trying to be like super ethereal and, you know, cue up the patriotic music behind me. He is allowing you to go through situations, through struggles, so that you can learn to be a better minister. Stop... Stop thinking. I, I read something on. I, I should have grabbed it. I read something on Facebook. If you have never looked back at your life at, at something you did and cringed, then you're not growing. <laughs> right? So, because you should look back and think, well, that was stupid. I wish I didn't say that. I wish I didn't do that. You're growing. You're literally being made for ministry. So here is the victory. The victory appears in verses 2 through 9. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses, like any self-respecting human, fled from before it. (laughs) I don't know if that's a nice uh, God way of saying he jumped out of his boots, but that's kind of what it feels like for me. Ah! And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand. Now, okay. If you have a snake, don't grab it by the tail, okay? (laughs) And he said, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. 
Now, I think it's kind of interesting because God doesn't say, I did that so that they would believe. It's just kind of like this ongoing dialogue. Like Moses picks it up, it becomes a rod, and he's like, that they're going to know. They're going to know. And the Lord said furthermore unto him in verse 6, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and we took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous as snow. Not a good deal. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again. So it would literally be like this, like putting his hand in his in his shirt or in his clothing, right? And he put his hand in his, back in his bosom again, and he plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it had turned again as his other flesh. Which is, again, a nice way of saying it wasn't baby brand new. It was like he was. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken unto thee of the voice of the first sign, to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe in these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take water of the water of the river and pour it under dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So, question. Oh, sorry, I should have advanced that. What is the pattern? What is the pattern? The rod that became a serpent and back, the hand that becomes leprous and is restored, and water from the river becomes blood. There's a couple of different things, well, there's a few different things I, could th I think you might throw out here, but what do you think is the pattern? It's okay. You're in a safe place, huh? They didn't believe. Well, they didn't believe, but I'm talking about the pattern of these three things. What is similar between... They're becoming a new thing. Trans, there's a transition that happens, okay. right? In one case, it goes from a rod to a serpent to a rod. In one, it goes from a normal hand to a leprous to a normal hand. In the third, it just goes from, blood, uh, from water to blood. So it's, there's a little bit difference. There's always a transformation, though. That's good. What else? takes them a while to believe it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it, it, there, it's repetitive for sure. But I'm specifically referring to just these three incidents. What, what, what else is, in, what else is in this involved? It's changing. Well, it's changing. That's kind of like a transformation. Anything else? It's okay. It's good to bad, maybe. The blood, I would argue, it's not resource, but it's not necessarily horrible, right? All three, because we're running out of time, all three are works with Moses' hands. Not of his hands, but with his hands. That was too obvious. It was. It's very, very obvious. He tells him to cast the rod down and pick it up. He tells him to put his hand in the bosom and pull it out. And he says, if they don't believe that, take of the water. He's going to have to, whether he scoops it up with his hands or he does a bucket or something... It's going to involve his hands. All of these are work, works with Moses' hands. But notice, they're not of his hands. He can't do this with his hands, meaning he doesn't have the ability to molecularly change a stick to a serpent and back. Like, he can't do that. He doesn't have the ability to become leprous and not become leprous of his own strength. He doesn't have the ability to turn the, uh, the water to blood. Okay? So, why is this important? Whose hand is going to deliver? Moses? No. God's hand is going to deliver. We've seen these before in, verse, uh, in chapter 3. 
I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go, not by, no, not by a mighty hand. We actually read that. We've read that. We've seen this verse a few times. He is not going to let you go by a mighty hand. This has nothing to do with your strength, Moses. It has to do with your obedience, Moses. Okay? And even in verse 20, And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in the midst thereof. Like, I'm going to do these things. I, God, am doing them. You are not doing them, Moses. Yes, you cast the... Look, if... If Moses came up and could do this thing in front of you, would you think Moses is awesome? No, you would think God is awesome. <laughs> if Mo, right? I mean, Mo, now maybe he's I mean, Mo, he did it, well. He did it, and God used him, and that's the beauty. Look at First at Second Corinthians four seven. We literally have the same promise, same promise, but we have this treasure. The power of the gospel in earthen vessels, vessels of clay, vessels of dust, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He literally chooses to use that that which is so weak that it can't take the glory. Moses can't take the glory for what's happening. I guess he could try, but he can't really take the glory. That's what I love about ministry. Ministry done right doesn't point to the minister. It points to the Lord. Like I was talking with somebody about about um, about counseling and how how difficult it can be and sometimes you feel like you got a lot of bullets coming at you and you're trying to figure out all the you know you're trying to figure out the the real issue that's what they teach us if you're going to take the counseling course here at, uh, in LFBI I'm a uh, spoiler alert you got to find the root cause you got to find the root issue because if somebody says I'm not sleeping well your answer shouldn't be pray more that you get sleep there's a root cause behind that right there's something else going on, and that is just the simplest of simple examples. I, I really I lash out at people. I'm angry all the time. Well, probably the issue isn't anger. Probably the issue is another thing, right? And so you got to get to that thing, and then you got to show the person like I, like you don't need to take the LFBI counseling course. I'm doing it right here. I'm joking. It's like weeks long. I'm giving it three minutes. It's 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 if if that is that's something you you feel like the Lord's leading you to do, great. But you've got to get to that point and show the the individual how their life is not lining up with the Word of God. And at the end of the day, they have to decide they want to change. I can't do that. I've had people say, "Well, you need to you need to talk to this person about about their relationship with the Lord." Well, I can talk to them, but they got to want it. I mean, have you ever wanted something so bad for somebody else that they don't want, whether it's spiritual or not? You can't do it. What's the old adage? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You can literally jump on a horse's head and push it underwater, and sometimes it still won't drink. Now, I need to be available. I need to minister where I can and point. But at the end of the day, Moses is not delivering the children of Israel. God is using Moses to deliver the children of Israel. It's a big difference. So he says, what was in thy hand? 
So I'm going to ask you, what's in your wallet? Right? I, I had to because, because I feel like we look a lot alike. Um, I would have chosen a different color lightsaber, though. I'm just saying. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about. So what's in your hand? Well, I would argue good. You have good in your hand. According to Proverbs 3.27, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. If you have some good in your hand, you need to minister. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I'd like some of that good in the form of a check. That's not always the way good happens. Sometimes good is counsel. Sometimes good is pointing to the Lord. Sometimes good is a really hard conversation. Sometimes good is in the form of a sandwich, as Sam would like to say. But good can't be defined by the person that's receiving. It has to be defined by the Lord. Also, what's in your hand? Well, maybe a staff and sling. In 1 Samuel 14, David, he takes his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a script. And a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So he had a staff and he had a sling to take on a giant. He left the armor behind because he hadn't proven it. And he had a staff which could be some sort of a weapon. But honestly, staffs, shepherd's staffs or shepherd hooks, the, the most of the time, they're to ward off, they, they crush snakes or they ward off wolves. Like, I guess if you really land a good one, you could probably kill a wolf with it. Like if you knocked it out, maybe you could. But my point is, he's taken on a giant with a stick and a sling. Well, what's that mean? God has to be involved, yeah. clearly, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's David and Goliath. It's the story of David and Goliath. What else could be in your hand? Well, maybe trumpets and lamps. Judges 7, uh, 16, and he divided 300 men. The 300, right? 300 Gideon's army of 300. The 300 men into three companies, presumably 100 each. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Because after all, that's how you beat armies, is with trumpets and a lamp in a pitcher. I'm sure there was more than one guy, well, maybe not, but I, if I was there, I would have been the guy be like, we're going to battle with the trumpet in a, in a pitcher that's got a lamp in it. Okay, are you sure about this? Well, when God's involved, that's more than enough. Maybe it's working a weapon. Now you're talking, Mitch. Now that's what I want in my hands. I want a sword. Nehemiah 4.17. They which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it. So there's people that actually constructed the walls and people that brought rocks and, and supplies and equipment and those types of things. Every one with his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. Do you realize the amount of coordination it would take to build a wall one-handed? <clears throat> Talk about the teamwork. You know what we have to do in this body? We have to have one hand in the work and the other on a weapon, a sword. And that takes a lot of coordination because that means I can't do it myself. I can't build the wall holding a, holding a sword. 
I, I can't lift up this rock and put it on this wall holding a sword unless Dennis also is holding a sword and has a hand. And Brandon has a sword and is a, has a hand. And Tari has a sword and has her hand on it. Like, that's how the wall's built. One hand on the sword, one hand on the work. So what's in your hand? What's in your spiritual hand? I, I, I trust, or, or, trust me, I tell you, there's a lot in your hand that you can bless. There's a lot that God can use in your hand. And you say, hey, I, last time I looked at my bank account, it doesn't look like I've got a lot in my hand. It's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a lot that the Lord can do. So victory principle number three, and we'll wrap up. Your hands will participate in the victory if you let them. Because Moses was very close to not allowing his hands to participate in the victory. Because he was like, but Lord. And God in his grace says, I'm going to use you. Because when I use you, it will show my amazing love to people. And it will show his God's glory. Right? Moses couldn't keep that. Moses... Did Moses part the Red Sea? Well, that's what we always say. Moses just held up his staff. Did Moses get water out of the rock? Well, that's kind of what we say, but he just smote it. Like, he didn't do those things. God did them through Moses. The victory here, and, 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 and folks, we are going to see it over and over again. The victory is the Lord's, but he chooses to use us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to minister. We thank you for how you how much you love us. You are really, really good to us. Lord, it is amazing to me that you would even look over the banisters of heaven or, or even stand next to me or in me and consider me even an even a, a willing vessel and that's that's the most I can be. And you just continue to just to challenge me and to grow me. Lord, I, that's my prayer for every one of these people is that they would just say yes. That they wouldn't say to you, but Lord, what if they don't listen? That they would say, Lord, how are you going to execute this? I'm excited about how you're going to use me. I want to be in the midst of the battle. I know it's going to be hard. And I know the prince or the king of Egypt is is going to decide not to let us go. But I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to smite it right in front of me. Lord, that is not that is not our default mechanism. Lord, we tend to doubt, we tend to reject, we tend to not follow. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us grow closer to you. And Lord, if there is anybody in this room, under the sound of my voice, listening later, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they don't have this hope. They can't do it. They can't literally can't be used of you. So, Lord, help them understand they have a need to have their sin forgiven. It's such an amazingly simple process that is just faith-driven. Lord, help them to understand that all the other things that the world might have taught them about works and that all those things, those, those don't work. That it really is just a belief in your finished work on the cross. That is sufficient. And that you continue that after our salvation you continue to to shine forth your glory in these simple earthen earth earthen vessels 
thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for teaching us. Thank you for investing in us. It's an honor to serve you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your day. Um, love you guys. Be good.